Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hola! Welcome to Untitled Filmcast. Cast? Oh my god! <laughs> We're eight episodes in now. How, how can you keep getting this wrong? <laughs> it's pretty close, I think. But... It's, it's about 80% there. Yeah. Untitled uh, film cast. I was, I was so concentrating on saying hola instead of hello. Um, but yeah, welcome you to You only the missed untitled... out one syllable, to be exactly. fair. Welcome to the Untitled Film Podcast with Callum and Johnny. I'm Johnny. And I'm Callum. And hola. There is a reason why he keeps saying hola. Because <laughs> it's the only word of Spanish I know. Uh... And I am currently in Quito. This is an international edition of the podcast. It's the first episode we've recorded remotely from two different places. So if the sound's different, that is why. Um, Sorry for last week's unrecording. Blame Iberia and the slow baggage handling at Quito Airport. Damn Um, you, Iberia and the slow baggage handling at the airport. Followed by the fact that there is basically no phone or internet reception in the Galapagos Islands. but And we're still figuring this out. Um, this is our first remote recording. Now that we get, once we get this one in the bag, we'll be more confident. And in the future, when we're in different places, like over Christmas, we'll, we'll be ready to go and ready to know what to do. Yeah, I think hopefully, I have used this software before on my previous podcast, which I occasionally say the wrong name for and um <laughs> it's yeah, like someone it saying well. the name of an old girlfriend <laughs> i had to really concentrate not to say it today as well because i was i couldn't remember the name of the software and i was looking for it so i've been looking at the name of the other previous podcast and the new um, girlfriend stays awake at night going does she does he love her instead of me <laughs> well that is your that is the question you must think all the time yeah i, I stay up at night thinking about it well, at least it's better than thinking about the collapse of the UK government and everything yeah. that's going on. So I know, I that, leave the country for one week and the whole thing falls apart. It's all because of you. I know. It's, it's all your fault. So much, but there we go. But instead, go. I am perched high atop the Andes Mountains with a volcano apparently erupting not too far away. So that is interesting as well. So this could be my last ever recording too, but we will see. Let's hope not. Uh, I don't think it's uh, that major. Thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. (laughs) I don't think it's that major of an eruption. In fact, Uh, all I know is that the tourists are not allowed to go there at the moment, but hey ho. And Um, yes, is a thematic link to all that. Um, Is indeed. So uh, something else that uh, I think is also a slight thematic link. If I sound a bit funny, it's because I am slightly worse for the wear of altitude sickness. And this week, we will be talking about some very high altitudes in our 
we've got a bit documentary this week for is it the first time we've done documentary it absolutely is yes yeah. the very the first, first time we've done documentary. so the first thing we are talking about uh, or our new movie will be well it's not even a movie it's a tv series it's a movie. tv miniseries documentary on netflix called aftershock everest and the nepal earthquake and the, and the older movie is called sherpa uh which is they're actually the, the closest in age movies we've, we've ever had they're less than 10 years apart mm-hmm. uh but sherpa is about i think it's the 2013 uh everest base camp season um which we'll talk a bit more in detail about later but is a really fantastic documentary so yeah two documentaries both about climbing everest but quite an obvious link this week um and I thought it was, yeah, quite a nice thematic link as I am high atop the Andes Mountains, as I say. And these two films are only spaced apart by a year in terms of their events because two very tragic things happened at, in Nepal and Everest. Uh, one in 2000, I think it was 13, did you say? Yeah, 13 and, and then 14. And then 14. Uh, so uh, two very tragic events to happen uh, on Everest and in Nepal. And it'll be uh, fun to get into them. Absolutely, absolutely. But first off, um, I think the first thing we should speak about is social media. Yes. Um, so for those of you out there who are not following us on social media... Then why go, are you um, even listening to us? Well, exactly. But also, uh, why don't you go and like and subscribe? It's Untitled Film Podcast, one word, on both Facebook and Instagram. And Twitter, who cares? Yeah. Although I have found a thing that automatically will post the episodes to Twitter. So maybe oh, Twitter will well, become more Okay, so maybe care a little tiny, teeny, tiny, tiny, teeny bit then. But, I can't even yeah. remember what we're called on Twitter. <laughs> no, well, you made it, so you should know. But I think it's untitled. a high bar of professionalism that you <laughs> get from I'm pretty sure it's untitled. untitled uh, it's untitled with CJ. Or untitled film CJ. Well, Shit. <laughs> We will, we'll post it on Instagram where more people follow us. Yes, I think um, that's the thing. I mean, Twitter, you can care about a little bit when you get in the tens or maybe high tens, low hundreds. Uh, before then, it's just a bum, it's a, it's a bum fight over there. That, let's, the less we talk about Twitter, the better. But anyway, we have, uh, or I did anyway, ask a question this week. I've actually asked two, but one of them didn't get any replies very unhelpfully uh but question number one was um what i had a little meme that i found comparing 2009 cgi to 2019 cgi uh, and i asked what is the worst movie cgi you've ever seen and who replied to us callum we got two replies one of them is from our pal chris wade he said, in regards to your worst CGI question, lol, then he posted a YouTube video. And the YouTube video was of the explosion towards the end of Black Widow. And it is a stinker. It's a real stinker. Explosions are notoriously difficult to do anyway. But considering Marvel's rushing CGI artists to get the job done over time, crunches, making the artists sleep under the desk, all that kind of stuff, they pulled a predictably rushed job. And it's not their fault. And every time we talk about CGI, we have to stress this. It's not the artist's fault. They really, really, really get fucked over by the studios. Uh, just want to put that out there. But it is a real bad one. It's when Florence Pugh... I should, I should probably put spoilers here because it is towards the end of the film if you haven't yeah, seen Black Widow. Yeah, I haven't Black seen Widow. the film yet, so please don't spoil it too Okay, much. I won't. There, I'll just <laughs> no, say I, I there, fast, but... there is an explosion and it looks... Well, firstly, it's brown. It's a brown explosion. <laughs> explosions aren't brown guys um actually this was brought up in a uh, episode of corridor crew the the visual effects artists react team they did a whole episode on explosions and they talked about just how difficult they are because of how explosions burn out the the lights everything just looks white and it, it just blows everything out so it's difficult to get a good looking cgi explosion without losing everything as a real explosion would do were you to expose it to a camera. So it always looks a little bit alien. So that's from our friend Chris. Uh, He said also the worst performance here, but I can't imagine they had much to go with staring at a green piece of fabric and a tennis ball. And that's true. That's also a notoriously difficult thing with explosions, you know? Uh, So we'll just go on to our second comment. It's from our pal Howard. 
And he said, okay, this question has mostly served to remind me that the slow day-by-day passage of time has eroded far deeper into my youth than I expected. Howard is always very erudite. So thank you for your typically erudite and detailed response, that Howard. Um, nothing I thought was recent is recent anymore. That said, I have two options. One, The Hobbit's Battle of the Five Armies. It's quite clear in several battle scenes that the background soldiers are cut and paste jobs. Some films have bad CGI, but the artists tried their best and may have been limited by technology or budget, but this is just lazy. And then number two, Birdemic, shock and terror, CGI so bad that it's good. Think Tommy Wiseau levels of CGI. I could have done that better levels of CGI. How were there so many people involved in this film and yet not one single person realized how bad this is levels of CGI? There are birds that explode into flames when they crash. It's that bad. I have actually seen Birdemic. It is one of those so bad it's good (laughs) movies. I recommend it. If you get a chance to watch it, please watch Birdemic. I think, Chris, for example, you would like Birdemic, so get on that. I always think with these things, there's there's two ways to look at bad CGI. There's some things you kind of expect bad CGI from, like a movie that costs $300,000. So mm-hmm. if you're watching something like Birdemic or Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus and you're expecting like high-quality CGI, then, you know... You're going to be disappointed. You're going to be disappointed. Um, there are a couple where it's like animated movies where the whole point is just an animated movie. And I've seen, like, again, I've seen Corridor Crew doing some real takedowns like blah, blah, blah. It's just lazy. Like It's not even that it's it, it wouldn't have taken any more time to do it in a different way. It's just been done badly. But outside of that, you've also got these movies that cost $200 million that have incredibly poor CGI in them. Um, and I think, again, like we previously said, it's it's too much being rushed and not enough you know quality resource to to get these things finished like cats is a perfect example it Um, certainly is and yeah you know and i think it's quite different i think when i think bad cgi i think bad cgi in movies that shouldn't have bad cgi i feel like you know i can give a pass to things that, that have it but there's increasingly terrible terrible cgi out there and a really good example is uh is she hulk um, and I get it, it's a TV series, it's not going to have quite the same level of CGI as something else, but when you look at look like the quality of stuff in, say, Loki in comparison, I, and there's a far less CGI in She-Hulk than there is in Loki. It is think, weirdly poor. Yeah, it is, it just doesn't seem quite right. And then, not to give too many spoilers away on the last episode, but there's a whole bit where they're talking about how expensive it is to make her CGI. Oh yes, that was quite funny. Uh, yeah, but um, quite meta. But it's like, um, how expensive can this be? I feel like the Corridor Crew guys could do that on a like on a weekend in that in their yes. little shed or whatever it is. But again, we shed. don't know exactly what um, what it is that the artists are going through. I think no, the reason I'm not why the artists, um, I'm oh no, I Disney. know you know. It's, it's consistently. It's, it is a consistent it's issue. Problem, actually. Disney a lot, but they're no, not the, Tokyo they're, as well. They're certainly not the only studio to do it, and this is an increasing problem. I think why the meme is so funny is that in 2009, people had just got these amazing tools, and it just expanded to a point where they could do it. So they took such care over it. That's why uh, the squid monster—I forget his name—Davy Jones in Pirates of the Caribbean mm. looks so good, or why Avatar looks as good as it does. It's, oh. it's a lot of care taken. Whatever you say about James Cameron, it, I do think he will put the, the you know puts the effort into things. I'm pretty sure the new avatars that come out this year is probably as unneeded as they are. Will will uh, have it will look CGI. like something else. Yeah, yeah. It will look. I mean, even you know, from the trailer, the way the water spackles and the way that it runs over material, you think, oh, that bit must have been filmed. They can't have done water that well. And that's why it's taken. 13 years or whatever it is to come out because they've, they've done quality. Whereas, you know, now Marvel are churning out three or four movies a year. Their, their VFX guys must be stretched, to say the least. Another issue is that they get these indie kids. Uh, they'll get a director that has made a film that was a big hit at the Sundance Film Festival, but has no experience in CGI. And you have to have a good understanding of how to, do, how to direct CGI artists. Because it's not just a case of, right, you do the CGI bit, I'll be do the directing actors bit. They It is works together. Um, Cats had that problem where Tom Hooper, who is an idiot, would <laughs> scream at the CGI artists for uh, incomplete work and said, yes, it's incomplete. This is the incomplete work. You direct yeah. us to tell us how to complete it. Yeah, this is the, this is the first Passover. We're, we're showing it to you to see if you, you know, if you want to make changes before we do the expensive bit. 
And this is a systemic problem. They'll, yeah. they'll hire these indie kids straight out of Sundance. They won't know what to do. And then the artists have far less time and far less money. And the time they do have runs into the evenings. They're tired all the time. And they're doing the best they can. Yeah, it's an absolutely. issue. It needs to be fixed. It is. It is indeed. But I'm sure it's a topic we're both very interested in and we've mentioned before. And I'm sure we will come back to it in yes. a greater degree in another episode. Absolutely. So... On to the news. Um, This week, I'm going to do a slight twist on the news from my end. I'm going to do a couple of facts. So if you want to do your couple of bits of news, and I think the second one runs quite nicely into our documentary. So uh, if you want to do your first piece of news first, or you do both your pieces of news even first. Okay. This is a bit of a sad one to start with. So quite a few of the pieces of news that we get are from Deadline because Deadline is such a trusted source. It is the studio trusted news site. And the woman who founded Deadline, Nikki Finke, um, once uh, credited as being once the most feared writer for when she was a journalist. Uh, she died at the age of 68, but she founded wow. one of the probably the most trusted film and entertainment news website in the world. Um, so that's a very sad piece of news. Uh, she yeah. was, she'd worked for a lot of people. This article is from The Hollywood Reporter, and she'd worked for uh, The Hollywood Reporter, The Los Angeles Times. She, she was a known person. That's why Deadline is as good as it is, because of her quality checks mm. and her team's quality checks so that that's um unfortunately that was a very sad one but it's nice to uh tribute someone who's so important to film entertainment i remember ari gold screaming about nicky fink because he posted something on deadline that he didn't want to be posted in our <laughs> entourage so yeah now very famous uh in the industry and yes yeah, some sad news yes that is sad and i may have mispronounced her name fink rather than finke Oh, well, doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's been... Okay, yeah, you're probably right. what Ari Gold screamed, but... Yes, yeah. no, I'm, su- I'm sure you're correct. Uh, the second one is that um, Angelina Jolie is to portray opera singer Maria Callas in biopic Maria from Spencer filmmaker Pablo Larian. Um, uh, Spencer, as you know, uh, it came out a couple of years ago. It starred um, Kristen Stewart, uh, earned her an Oscar nomination. And Pablo has this habit. He also directed Jackie. Um, and so he has this knack about doing stories about very important, influential women who had quite tumultuous lives. And also he has a knack of doing slightly ironic casting. So someone as stilted as um, uh, Kristen Stewart to play someone as stilted as Princess Diana um, he does that thing where she's also someone who's been similarly maligned and then playing someone who was also maligned as a public figure. So he, he likes doing this thing. And Angelina Jolie has been going through a lot, shall we say. We've, we've, the news reports have been coming out about her kind of very messy divorce um, with um, Brad Pitt, allegations of abuse. We're not going to know the truth and we're not going to get to the bottom of it here. But uh, this could be just the kind of film that she needs because uh, she's been away from filmmaking and, and, and acting for a while a project by a director as respected as Pablo could be just the thing that she needs to break out of this. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. It it should be interesting. Uh, Both. Yeah. I really enjoyed Jackie and really enjoyed, um, I forgot Miss Cowell's name is Spencer. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, but not the awful Princess Diana film with, um, Oh, Naomi Watts. Yeah. (laughs) It's awful. But no, the good one. But yes, no, yeah, that should be some interesting news indeed. Um, so yeah, I feel uh, a little bit of a twist this week as I found a couple of interest. Well, I thought found interesting movie facts when I was in the Galapagos. So Ooh. the first is the in the Galapagos. For, for anyone who knows, it's a uh, or doesn't know, I should say, it's a kind of a, a, a kind of set of islands in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Atlantic, yeah, Atlantic Pacific. Pacific. <laughs> In the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Sorry, it's uh, 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 the, the altitude sickness is making me a little It's getting to him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, in the, in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Uh, and it's fairly untouched by humans, about as, as, as untouched as places on this earth can be by humans. Uh, and it is where Charles Darwin originally went and came up with the theory of evolution um, because of all the, the, the 
initially the, the different types of finches um and but also the various different animals there that have evolved depending on which area of the island they are and, and what kind of foods are available and and things um but my my first fact so one of the one of the creatures that, that roams around there are iguanas um there's different types there's marine iguana which is the main the one you kind of see the most but there's land iguanas and things as well and they are huge and very prehistoric looking uh, and apparently steven spielberg got the inspiration to do jurassic park by visiting the galapagos islands and seeing these land iguanas um and seeing this kind of place that's a you know part that people go to look but effectively it's just a giant place that people go to look at wildlife and, and having these, really these cool. prehistoric animals there and how kind of cinematic they looked and things um so yeah that was my my first piece of film facts t-rex doesn't want to be fed he wants to hunt and then the second one is the there is a, a documentary movie um, called The Galapagos Affair. Um, uh, Hell in Paradise, I think is its, its prefix, uh, which is a really interesting story that I highly recommend watching this documentary. Um, it is about a group of German settlers that, that arrived on this tiny little island called Floriana, which is still, I think, only has 140 inhabitants on it to this day. Uh, and this kind of murder mystery intrigue happened on there because different kind of factions kind of appeared on this island and one wanted to set up a hotel and and one was a baroness um, that was kind of like obviously trying to take over the island and then and, and had like brought two lovers with her that was very kind of sensationalist in, uh, in its time. Um, and yeah, and there's a fantastic documentary about it, which I highly recommend watching. Oh, it does sound very interesting. That Yeah, sounds like there's something I'd uh, really get into. So, but yeah, I, what what I thought that was quite a nice segue into is documentaries. So this week, as we mentioned at the head of the program, we are going to be talking about two really interesting documentaries, one a series and one a film. So uh, I think that brings quite, ties quite neatly in to um, our two movies of the week. So this week we've done two documentary, one a series, one a movie, both about Everest, one about Everest and Nepal. Um, our new one is one of Netflix's newest shows, uh, as Callum mentioned earlier. So did you want to give us a bit of a, a lowdown about Everest, Callum? Yes, certainly. It's called Aftershock, Everest and the Nepal Earthquake. And it takes place, is it the 2014 I believe earthquake? so, yeah. Yes, the 2014 earthquake that devastated Nepal. And the story takes place, or the um, facts take place over three different places. Firstly, you have climbers on Everest. Um, then you have how it affected the city of Kathmandu. And the third is uh, there are several survivors on the Langtang Valley trail which is a very popular hiking trail and it cuts between these three stories and you get to see this uh, kind of snapshot lives of several of the survivors in each part and how it is that they managed to survive and it's very harrowing um it's very much a talk to camera sort of documentary that you know they have these chairs set up um and very well shot and very well lit scenarios uh where you see the survivors talking directly to the camera giving their accounts of what happened and it takes place over three episodes roughly about 45 minutes each and it splits its time equally between these three parts and uh guess uh, the first question is uh johnny what did you think of this uh, documentary i liked it i thought it did a good job of kind of telling three different viewpoints i quite liked how so obviously how they kind of set some of the drama up in it um obviously the whole thing is an incredibly dramatic experience and a dramatic um thing to have happened but I did think that they, the way that they got certain people to tell the story was really well done. There's one of the kind of smaller of the three stories um, is about some Israeli tourists, predominantly Israeli. Yes, and they're, yes, they're the, three not, Israeli guys. Um, and they do something to, not to give too much away, but that, that makes some of the locals unhappy, justifiably, I would say. Um, 
And the the way that they kind of told that story with one of them was always still trying to cover up their misdeeds um, and would be saying one thing, and then the cam- the, the camera crew would, or, or the or the interview uh, interviewer would be like, um, "Oh, that's not what Jeff said, or whatever the names are." And he'd be like, "Oh, did Jeff say that?" And I thought that kind of stuff was quite well done as well. That um, some of the footage was fantastic and and, and amazing. Uh, it was definitely it was quite sad at points, but very uplifting. Um, yeah, I thought it was it was really well done. I could definitely feel the difference, and I don't, don't want to do too much comparison at this point, but feel the difference that it felt more TV than than the other movie or the movie that we'll be reviewing. But then that makes sense because it is a TV show and done in a TV way as opposed to a movie. But I really liked it. Would highly recommend watching it, if, particularly if you're interested in travel or if you're interested in kind of human stories or interesting kind of climbing and things is quite a big genre of uh of climbing movies particularly around everest and yeah highly recommend it for that well i'd agree with all that uh, i also liked that it didn't focus solely on climbing everest because i think that most stories about nepal you know the majority of them are going to be everest heavy and i like that it wasn't like uh, the central piece is everest and then there's also Kathmandu and the langtang trail that they really did split the time between the three Uh, if there is one thing and i'm not going to call this a flaw because it's really not a flaw it's just a function of how netflix makes tv documentaries they all start to look and sound quite the same there's a very clinical approach to how netflix makes documentaries and at times the format seems if not a little impersonal and a little clinical just because this is how netflix makes documentaries this is how they kind of they custom it they they put up some facts then they do add the graphics and then there's talking heads and the fact that you have talking heads did make it feel like oh well i know he lives um so and those aren't flaws because of the formatting of it being a netflix documentary sometimes it felt just a tad impersonal but i'm not going to call this a flaw it's just a function you know what you're getting when you sit for a netflix documentary but otherwise each of the stories were well told um the people that they chose to spoke to were very well informed very erudite and that's an alarm in the background i'm not sure if you can hear it but uh it is is that your end because there's an alarm at my end definitely <laughs> um but I've, i'm just going to go through it it's not worth re-recording for um <laughs> and yeah it's but it was mostly excellent so it's just that kind of tiny thing that kept me from being falling absolutely in love with it uh it was a slight clinical side of it slight netflix side of it but otherwise it's excellent it, it's truly excellent i actually did think one of the points you brought up there was that you, you can oh they survived they, they survived but actually there was a there was a moment they they was they did one thing quite cleverly with with this again i don't really give too much away because this is our new movie um but there was a bit where they i didn't think did that actually i thought they were quite smart in how they um kind of didn't show certain people until you, you knew they'd survived. Um, yes, yeah. there were some things that they held back, and that was uh, very tasteful, I think, um, that they didn't want to just make them cautionary tales, like, on oh, this person died. Do-do-do-dum. But I did, I did also agree uh, in the, the fact that they, they, they did do a good job of telling, you know, multiple stories, not just... It could have just been about the people at Everest Base Camp because um, that was a, a big thing that happened, um, and it's I mean, when these tragedies are again not going too much into climate. When these tragedies happen, they don't normally happen at base camp, and the fact that it happened at base camp is quite a big thing. But obviously, the whole thing with this Nepal earthquake is actually it killed thousands and thousands of people. Um, I think it's nine thousand. They said, yeah, um, in Nepal itself, because um, it was a huge earthquake, and it's a you know quite a large country, um, and. It was nice that it focused on that for you know a good half the documentary and some of the rescue efforts and and how well the kind of locals dealt with it and things like that as well, which was 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 really nice to see. Yes, absolutely. I think that if anything, the most interesting part for me was the stuff that happened at Kathmandu uh, because the Everest stuff was interesting. It was and very harrowing and very touching at times, as was the the Langtang. Uh, trail stuff was uh, also very harrowing for different reasons because of what these Israeli guys did and you know there was a 
pressure cooker sort of feeling going on. But I did feel like just just seeing the devastation of Kathmandu and yeah. the effort put in, and just how scary it must have all been. And you know, some of them, there were moments that brought me to tears, and they most of those moments were from the citizens of Kathmandu and telling their stories of survival and who didn't survive and and everything like that. It it was absolutely heartbreaking to see you know, a metropolitan city like that just leveled and built, mm. crumbled. And it, that was, for me, the kind of most interesting part. I was really scared for, for everyone there. And yeah, it was terrific. And I think it has been a place where historically there hasn't been too, it has been some earthquakes in the past, but not, it's not like Japan where they expect to have one every, you know, year of a certain degree and then a bad one every 10 years say so they weren't the buildings and things there just weren't designed for it and obviously uh, anyone who knows anything about earthquakes knows if a building's not designed for it then um the consequences are far more tragic and it really really did level large parts of nepal um and it you know in the Again, something else where they maybe could have made the documentary longer or could do a second season or something is the rebuilding effort would be quite interesting to see, actually, because it must have taken ages. I actually knew people that were over there at the time, um, and it like communication was lost to certain like to areas for days. People didn't know if people were alive or dead or where they were, and it was a yeah, really harrowing time. How scary. And yes, I would be very interested to see about the reconstruction, because no, just to see those poor people and the rescue efforts and what they had to do and the miscommunications that were going on that they had to put up with in order to save people you know that must have continued into the reconstruction so that i'd be very interested to see a follow-up about this yeah absolutely but no I th- overall very good yes very good as well um minor misgivings but really very minor i would give it a recommend yes very much so thumbs up as Roger Ebert used to say, <laughs> two thumbs yeah, up. two thumbs up. And an argument with... and I'll yeah. be Ebert. Uh, which one? <laughs> yeah, so Cecil, I'm the bold one then. Yeah. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Who is it before Cecil? Cecil was the last one that they were together with the two of them, but there was another person before that, wasn't there? Yes. Oh, darn it. I... I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. I have anyway forgotten <laughs> we're going we're, we're going somewhat off track off here topic, on a yeah. tangent <laughs> i think so so let's talk about our quote-unquote old movie because it's a little bit quote-unquote this week but from 2015 the ancient year of 2015 <laughs> uh, indeed uh sherpa so sherpa is the story of the 2013 everest climbing disaster so this movie is far more everest based and it is far more cinematic uh, for those that don't know um and, and the other thing it tells in, in a way that i don't think has been told before and in a way that probably needed to be told is the story of the sherpas so for those that don't know i think most people just assume sherpa is a name for people that help people climb mountains um but it's not uh sherpa is actually a, an ethnic group of people who live in and around Everest in Nepal. Um, there's quite a few ethnic groups in Nepal. Obviously, people know Gurkhas and things as well. Um, but they are particularly suited, um, I wish I had some of these genes right now, uh, for not getting sick from altitude sickness and things because they, they, where they've had generations of families living up there, you know, they, they, their bodies are, are very used to it. So historically, um, these people, uh, this, this, this ethnic group have been hired to help people climb Everest um, and 
uh, Tanzing was the, the the kind of went up with Hillary um, when they were the first people to summer, summit um, Everest. I should know the year. I think it's the fifties, maybe the sixties. I, I think you're right. I think it's the fifties. Uh, I haven't got the year to hand. Uh, I'm somewhat more prepared this week. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and they, um, but they kind of. I think in a lot of cases don't feel that they get the respect that they so obviously deserve. Um, and what happens now is climbing Everest is a, is a, is a big industry and there's, there's different levels of it. There's a lot of people who climb to Everest base camp. Um, but you also get people that want to summit the mountain and people that want to summit the mountain tend to be fairly adventurous. Um, historically 1% of people that have tried to climb Everest have died, although those numbers have reduced in more recent years as a percentage wise. Um, but it's turned into a little industry and every year they go and build these camps uh, along the route uh, and build these um, effectively routes that makes it quite easy. I say quote unquote easy, it's still incredibly hard, but easier for the Western tourists that go to climb it. Um, and the Sherpas do all this. So the Sherpas go first at the start of the season, climb all these routes, set all these routes up for the tourists, go up and down, up and down the mountain multiple times, crossing the most dangerous parts, carrying all the heavy things and putting this together. And uh, tragically, in 2013, uh, there was a, um, a, it's not an earthquake, it is a... Avalanche. Um, avalanche, I suppose you can film. <laughs> landslide. There was an avalanche uh, that I think killed around 13 of the Sherpas who were setting up these camps, um, which was the, the biggest single disaster until that point, 2014, changed that. Um, and this set off a chain reaction between um, the the kind of the Western tourists and the West, in most cases, the Western companies running these tours uh, and the Sherpas locally, um, who didn't feel that they were getting the respect they deserved and also just seen 13 of their, their friends and family members die uh, in pursuit of, of this. So um, it's centred around the story of uh, one particular Sherpa and also one particular um, of the, the, the Australian gentleman who ran one of the, the touring companies, um, who actually seemed to be one of the more, um, what's the word, compassionate of them uh he didn't previously cancelled seasons um because he was worried about the safety of the sherpas working for him uh and in doing that in the past you know angered the people that were there to climb the mountain uh, some of whom were back this year so it added on another level of pressure um it was also incredibly cinematic and the reason it was so cinematic was that at the time i think it was the discovery channel or national geographic one of those channels was trying to film a live series where someone jumped from the top of Everest in a, with a parachute. Um, so it just so happened that they had lots of really high-quality video footage um, from there. So, yeah, really cinematic documentary. So, Callum, what did you think? I thought it was excellent. Um, I was looking up the director after I watched the film. Her name is Jennifer Piedem. Uh, she is a nature documentary. She's made several films about mi- mountain climbing and various other um expeditions and trails and uh, uh, pieces of geography so she's someone that really knew how to film this scenery and that's first and foremost as you said it's very cinematic it looks like a uh, a proper film unlike uh, the you know i'm not going to unfairly compare it to a netflix documentary but it is true that unlike the netflix documentary which did feel televisual and she was not no one was expecting this to happen she was just wanting to uh, make a film about the day-to-day lives of the Sherpa and, you know, what they do, their family life beforehand. No one is, was expecting this tragedy. And then when it came, it it became a whole different movie. And uh, it became a, a movie about uh, injustice, about how uh, a, a, a group of people, uh, native people are treated, uh, how the tourism industry in Nepal centers around Everest and yet the people who are doing most of the grunt work or all of the grunt work don't get fairly compensated and do incredibly dangerous jobs. It became a film about uh, how colonialism and uh, uh, this idea of um, Westerners kind of going over to fuzzy wuzzy land and ruling the world is still alive and well into the 21st century. Uh, As you say, it links with the uh, story of the first British people to in the 50s to climb the summit and how the sherpa became a celebrity for a small period of time but even still 
he was treated as lesser than the British people who he had basically dragged up the mountain, you know, helped dragged up the mountain. I don't want to make I don't want to make fun of them, actually, because I'm sure they were very talented climbers. But still, it, the Sherpa goes first. And so it became this very fascinating documentary about how this type of injustice and how us thinking about these people is just the Sherpa does a, does a job. They are Sherpas. That's a job position. You know, I didn't I didn't realize I had no idea that this was a type of native people that, you know, live around the mountain. I assumed Sherpa was the a job position um i had no idea i i it was ignorance on my part i, I really didn't know but it, you know it's suddenly and this is kind of the best documentary filmmaking happens this way when it happens on the fly like this that suddenly this film that was going to be a film about a day in the life of the sherpa suddenly became about how the sherpa on by no way equal and how they uh were fighting for compensation after this and they just had enough you know they they got to the point where they really weren't going to put up with this anymore and it was fascinating i had no idea about any of this stuff and no it was it was terrific i would recommend this to anyone who is a loves geography loves traveling but also loves you know hearing stories about people who deserve more and they do deserve more and probably continue to deserve more yeah, I completely agree. Um, yeah, with pretty much everything you said, um, it, it did. You, you could actually tell that it started off as that that former documentary because they go and speak to some of the Sherpas before they start off on their season and about their kind of worries and their hopes and things. And then, yeah, you see how it turns, um, and it, it tells a great story of of these people and of of their lives, um, but also of this great injustice and and how kind of. I don't want to say downtrodden because I think actually what the shows is really they they hold all the power, um, but also how um, the kind of inept the government is, how inept the the, the travel companies are, and all these things, and, and without the Sherpas, and actually I think it shows kind of a wider message for for society as well. Actually, I think it does quite a good job of it kind of you know. I think all through life, there's these these situations where actually things couldn't operate without the you know the the people that actually do all the hard work and the people that have the knowledge. Uh, and in this scenario, they they you know they're those people, um, and and kind of how inept the systems are around them. Uh, oh, absolutely, it's, it's the British um, government has shown in the last few weeks. Yes, absolutely. But uh, it also got me thinking. Uh, going back to that point about how they are a native people, and how they are they used for tourism, but they don't see any of the um, money that comes, or see very little of the money of that tourism. I suddenly started thinking of um, you know native Hawaiians who mm-hmm. are expected to uh, sit around in hula sk- in uh, grass skirts and and coconut bras and dance for blotchy sunburnt tourists or uh how the maori have been turned into just people who oh they do that dance and it's a bit scary but also a bit emotional and they've got the face tattoos but we do do this i mean you know when i say we i don't mean you jonathan finn um but i i i mean uh people as a society even people who who like to think of themselves as enlightened who like to think of themselves as intelligence you know we do have a blind spot i think when it comes to how native people are treated or we might know that they're treated poorly but we don't know the extent to which they're treated how poorly they are treated so this became a very i think vital documentary um about knowing and respecting and being empathetic towards a kind of people whose lives before now we we had no knowledge or very little knowledge. I mean, if you're someone who does love to travel like like yourself, I'm sure you knew a little bit about it going in, at least. But for, for me, who who knows very little about travel or that part of the world, um, except for Everest is a mountain that people like to climb. I, I think it's a vital documentary, an absolutely vital documentary. And I think uh, everyone should see it to just to understand what these people go through and how hard you know, it is for them to get the recognition that they deserve, even at a time, like in the case of the man in the 1950s. And it's terrible. I have forgotten his name. I'm, I'm uh, Tanzing. Tanzing. Um, how 
you know, even when he became a minor celebrity and how people in the documentary talk about him, like, oh yeah, of course we respect him. He was the guy, you know, he was the one that that showed the path. He he got a lesser medal than the the uh, white British travelers who um, he helped summit. He, you know, within years, he was just the guy that did that thing, you know, and it it is true. We, these people are just, they're treated far poorer than than they deserve and especially considering how much work they do and it's especially shocking sometimes seeing some of these tour companies talk about them in the third person like they're not there and that was that was incredibly um disheartening to see some of those scenes just uh, like oh yeah these guys yeah if you go up the mountain when they've there's uh, towards the end they're trying to fight for their compensation they're tr- trying to fight for to have um more rights given to them and it's very shocking towards the end. These guys, they say that if you guys go up the mountain, you people that have paid all the money to come here, they're going to break your legs. It's like, when did they say that? And, and it was shocking to see just how they were talking about them. Like they weren't there and that they almost like they're less than people. But no, I, I was angered by it. I was shocked by it. I was, I was enlightened by it. It was a, it's a vital documentary, I feel. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, I think the two pair very well and, and are very interesting. And it goes into the you know the culture of both countries about the dangers of, of, of Everest as well. Um, and I think they're, they're two movies to pair together. So I think that brings us towards the end of this podcast, uh, as I need to go and climb my own mountain to go and stand on the centre of the earth. And this so, is the last time we ever heard from Jonathan. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, um, first things first, what would you, what, what do you think and what would you give the Everest first? I would give, I, I, I did like it a lot. Um, I thought some parts were more interesting than others. Uh, to be honest, um, the bit about the Israeli guys, I, I thought it was a vital for it to be known, but, um, I, we did spend a bit too much time in their company. I didn't like them at all, but no. I don't think we were supposed to, um, but, I also find that sometimes the, the uh, mechanical machine clicking of Netflix is just a little bit too plastic. And the, the, some of the times that was felt here. But otherwise, it was a very engaging, very well-told documentary that was edited extremely well. So for the tiny flaws, I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. Yeah, that's, I think that's a, a fair comment. I can definitely see that. Funnily enough, actually, there's a documentary series on Netflix about the now, funnily enough, because there was one on Disney as well about the Thai cave rescue. And that was the same. It felt very kind of, they all feel the same, these documentaries. It's obviously the same directors, obviously a mould, and they just go, well, let's tell this story and put these things in the mould, find some people that were there, find some found footage, blah, blah, blah. Um so I'm going to agree with you completely. I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. It's well worth watching. It's definitely, you know, something to pass the time. You don't have to pay too much attention other than the fact that there is some bits with um, uh, subtitles. Uh, but other than that, it could be the kind of thing you put on while you're eating your dinner. Um, but yeah, it, it, I think it was well worth a 7 out of 10. And Absolutely. Sherpa, what are your thoughts on Sherpa? Well, I just thought it was... Excellent. I, I was bowled over by it because I had no idea. I had no idea whatsoever about the lives of these people and how poorly they're treated and how colonialism, you know, it didn't go away when the British Empire ended. It's still around and it's shocking to see. And it was disgusting to see how some of these people were treated. Uh, I think this is going to be a third, uh, third, uh, first for this podcast. I think it's going to be the first 10 out of 10 I give. I thought it was wow. excellent. I thought it was really, really moving and really incredible. I, I did not expect that at all. I was expecting a, a, the first documentary that they were going to make about the day in the life of the Sherpa. And it, we, I'm sure it would have been very interesting that, but I had no idea. And it was an, it's a vital story. It's an important story. Very vital. Five stars, 10 out of 10, top banana. Well, good. Um, I'd actually seen this this before, but I kind of, when I saw that new, new series was out, I thought, oh, that, this will pair nicely, and I fancy watching it again, because I also think it's really, really good. Um, I, yeah, I think it's a vital story. I think it really is important. And, and again, it, it shows it through the lens of the Sherpas, but I think it's a story that's told around the world, and somebody travels quite a bit, has kind of seen this kind of thing yeah, you know, through through society, um, and 
like Callum kind of said earlier, you know, you go do that dance that you do and you go do that thing that you do and, and yeah, and dance for the, dance for the, the expensive rich Western tourists who come and see you. And it kind of is the most extreme version of that. And I think it tells that story really well. Um, yeah, there's not much I can fault about it. Um, it's actually, I could, I would have liked, <laughs> this is possibly a first I've ever said on the podcast. I, I could have done with it being 10, 15 minutes longer. There was a couple more Ooh. stories I'd like to hold, <laughs> to have heard from a couple of people and, and things. But yeah, no, I think overall um, was excellent. I'm going to give it a nine out of 10. But I, I yeah, I just, I, 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 something tells me it's not perfect in my head, but it is, it's, it's damn near close to be. So very, uh, I'm going to give it a excellent. nine out of 10. So yeah, as a sum up of the two, so we we, we are giving the Netflix Everest documentary seven, and we are giving nine and a half to Sherpa. So Sherpa very much has our go watch it stamp of approval. So uh, it's very on Netflix. Important. I would highly recommend going and seeing it. Yes, see it right now, right now. Yeah. So I think that kind of brings this week to a close. And as Johnny gets over his altitude sickness, he climbs <laughs> the mountain and yeah. probably being helped up by a Sherpa. Some, you know, I'm sure he's going to be helped up by Don't some worry. poor... It won't be a Sherpa, it'll be a taxi <laughs> or an Uber, actually an Uber. A poor underpaid native person of the land is going to ferry you up the mountain as you complain about how sick you're feeling. <laughs> he is colonialism, people. Wow. Uh, he, yeah. This is colonialism incarnate. I, I will be in a car and then I will stand <laughs> in between two parts of two hemispheres. That's the word I'm looking for at once. Amazing. And see water go straight down instead of going in a circle and then going in a circle in the other way that we normally expect it because that is how exciting my life is. Tobias, did you send a collect call to America? <laughs> That's a very niche <laughs> reference. I hope people get that. Uh, nine hundred yeah. dollary dues. I'm not in Australia. No, but it's it's the, they, it's about the hemispheres. They talk about the hemispheres in that episode. It's a very funny reference. All right, only the bit with the toilet. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> right, and on that note, let's say bye. Bye. <laughs> oh, we we've done it again. <laughs> bye, guys. Bye. bye. Nine hundred dollary dues. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.